Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with co-host RG Seal. It's been a while since we've talked Astros. Don't forget we put up our Rockets post-game show, the Game 5 uh, Take a Care of Business post-game show with the Rockets and the Jazz. But RG, since we've talked... Uh, a lot has happened with the Astros because I don't think we, we really got into it when, when they were right towards the end of that big winning streak. But then something happened. It was like somebody snuck into their uniforms between Saturday and Monday. And I felt like these aren't the Astros I, I fell in love with. These aren't the Astros that wined and dined me and, you know, they took me out to dinner and they brought me roses and whatever. Where, where, where did my Astros go? Hopefully I don't see those guys ever again. I'm hoping that's just like they were in a bad, bad mood for a couple of days. What are you having some kind of bromance there? Like, uh, was this the bachelor and trying to like watch the Astros? Like it's a romantic interlude. <laughs> What's going on? I'm just telling you that they, they just seem like that. It was that time in the relationship where you just had a really bumpy rough spot. It's major league baseball. You have like four or five game losing streaks, even if you win 100 games in a season. No, 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 no. I, we've watched the Astros for the last two years. I don't remember a stretch where not not only did the starters come out and just lay an egg. You know, they poop, pooped on themselves for three three straight games. Not only did that happen, but the defense that is usually rock solid with the Astros was a total disaster. There was some fundamental errors. I mean, there was just a lot of stuff in there that did not look like the Astros that we've got to know and love. Yeah. I mean, they had bad, first of all, they had bad starting pitching outings, uh, bad starting pitching outings would be an understatement. I think Colin McHugh gave up nine runs in his outing and, uh, Garrett Cole gave up. How many did Garrett Cole give up that, that, that Saturday game? It was a lot. Yeah. I mean, he had the, he gave up the three runs in the first inning. You're right. I mean, it it puts the team when you have Starting pitching isn't good to start out with. It puts a team in a hole, obviously, and you have to come back. But last year, let's not forget that the Astros had a historic starting pitching staff. I mean, it, the things that they were able to do at the, at the last year hadn't been done since the Baltimore Orioles staffs of the early 1970s. Remember with Jim Palmer and, and Mike Ware and guys like that. I mean, it was just a, they were – Truly what they were doing in the American League last season when they had Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, basically Cy Young contenders. They had Lance McCullers. They had Charlie Morton and Dallas Keuchel. I mean, that was a staff for the ages. We're going to look back on that as maybe the best, you know, five-man starting staff in Astros history. So this year, you know, Colin McHugh's actually pitched pretty well. He had the bad outing there. Garrett Cole hasn't looked like himself just yet, uh, but I still think that he'll round into shape and be the Garrett Cole that we know. And and then you, you of course, have you had to put Brad Peacock back in the rotation. I'm not sure how long that will last. You know, we'll see the Astros might acquire somebody. They might call up Forrest Whitley or somebody like that during the season. So, you know, and then I think Wade, Wade Miley's done a, a you know, a, an admirable job so far, just what you expected out of him, you know, be a good fourth, fifth starter lefty comes in, kind of takes the Dallas Keuchel role. So, and, and I, another thing I want to mention too, uh, before we get off here is that the Astros have had kind of a really brutal schedule to begin with at the beginning of this season, because, you know, the Rangers have actually been kind of a surprise team. They've had six games in Arlington and they, the Rangers have beaten the Astros four out of six 
times. But I mean, if you look at the Astros, let's go over the teams who are above. Well, before you get to the Rangers, have been a surprise team. Have the Rangers been a surprise team because they beat the Astros four out of six times? Where would they be if the Astros would have just taken care of business? You have to say under Chris Ward, they're playing better ball. They were a terrible team last year. They're 12 and 11 as we're recording this right now. I'm just saying that this has been the Astros' schedule of teams that they've played so far this season. They played Seattle. Remember the four-game set in Seattle? They played Texas six games in Arlington. They played the A's. You know, and those are all teams in the division that are above 500. The one team that's nine and 15 that's six games below 500 is the the Los Angeles Angels. The Astros haven't played them yet. Who are the two best teams in the American League uh, East right now? The New York Yankee, uh, New York Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay Rays have been the best team in baseball. The Astros started off with them, and they played the New York Yankees. The three worst teams in that division below 500, Toronto, Boston, and Baltimore. The Astros haven't played them yet. Then you look over in the, Nash, in the American League Central, and uh, the Astros have had to play uh, Minnesota so far. They had the three-game set. Well, Minnesota's in first place right now. They're 13-9. and nine. And that's, guess who's coming in town? This, the team that's basically right neck and neck with them. It's the Cleveland Indians who won the division the last year. And the Astros have a four-game set at home coming up against them. They have not yet played Detroit, the Chicago White Sox, or the Kansas City Royals. And the Kansas City Royals are the worst team in the American League. So a lot of these teams have been fattening up maybe against some of the other teams. you know. That, and the Astros have had a really difficult schedule to start out with here. Plus, they've had only nine home games as we're recording this, and they've had 15 road games, and yet the Astros are still in first place. So there's a lot to be positive about because, and, and these are teams too that you were expecting to compete. The one surprise in the American League has been the Boston Red Sox. Nobody knows what's going on with them. I mean, this is a little bit long for you know the World Champions to be 10 and 15. They lost a doubleheader the other day to the Detroit Tigers. But other than that, I mean, a lot of these, you know, teams had been, been tough. And they, again, like Minnesota was expected to be kind of a, a surprise contender playoff team this year. You know, you got the Cleveland Indians again. You've had the Yankees. The Astros swept them. And, you know, Oakland was a playoff team. They're always really good with Billy Bean there. So, again, I just want to say for people who are, oh, my gosh, look at the Astros and what's happening here. They've had, you know, a more difficult schedule to start out with. And I know those things – kind of even up as the season goes along, but they haven't really had that cream puff really bad opponent yet. Okay, as of early Wednesday, uh, this is when I checked this. This was before the Wednesday night game that the Astros had against the Twins. The Astros were only hitting two thirty six with runners in scoring position. When they start hitting in the clutch, which they will, because they've got so many guys that are clutch hitters on this team and have a history of hitting in the clutch, and I'm just going to assume that's going to happen. I mean, baseball, usually the law of averages, it evens out. But when they start hitting in the clutch, their offense is, it looks like it could be all-time great because they're ranked third in baseball in slugging, second in on-base percentage, first in batting average. But because they aren't hitting in the clutch, they were only, and again, this was before the Wednesday night game, they were only 17th in run scored. I think that's big, RG. I mean, it's it's something that you got to look at with the offense. I mean, the, the offense... You know, when they when they struggled here the last few games, it, it's not as much been the offense, but it's been the pitching. But that's going to uh, change. I mean, I think the, the clutch hitting is going to change for sure. I mean, when you're going up against a bullpen that like with the Yankees and you're going up against Adam Ottavino and, you know, Zach Britton and Araldis Chapman or, or, or then you're facing starters like. 
you know, Charlie Morton and, and Blake Snell and guys like that on the, the Tampa Bay Rays. And I mean, you're, you're, you're going to have a little bit more difficult time coming up with the clutch hits, but the Astros have had, and, and like you mentioned over the course of their careers, like Jose Altuve, George Springer, Alex Bregman, and, and Michael Brantley, he's shown he can already be a clutch hitter running runners in scoring position. So yeah, I I'm not really too worried about that stat unless yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying problem, that's what I'm exactly what I said. Don't worry about it because we got this to look forward to. You're just you're so used to me being negative, RG. When I say something positive, you're looking at it negatively. But. Well, I think yeah, because I mean it's almost like well, you know, it's happening there. You're right. I, I'm used to use the 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 sky is falling, chicken little. So, <laughs> but also go go through this lineup right now. Look at let's look at. The Astros, this is, I mean, it's ridiculous what they're doing offensively. And, and I think for most of these guys, what they're doing is sustainable. Alex Bregman, his OPS, 971. Josh Reddick, boy, it's huge that he has gotten off to such a huge start because he's hitting 386, obviously not sustainable, but OPS at 970. And just him getting off to a hot start like he got off to in 2017, a lot of times that's something that, carries over and it keeps you going throughout the year because you look at your average and you think oh you're oh I'm a good hitter I'm, I'm in this this much and it gives you that confidence as the year progresses George Springer his OPS is at 936 you got Altuve who's at 915 he's only hitting 277 right now you assume he's gonna his average is gonna start to jump up Michael Brantley at 905 you know his average at 315 that's what you expect from Michael Brantley Correa 882 that's right in the Correa zone uh, Robinson Chirinos at, at 873. Um, I mean, those are seven guys. Usually those guys are the uh, seven guys in your batting order that are all hitting 873 OPS or better. 873 or better. Seven guys. Even Tyler White, who was struggling, has got it going now. And he's got it up to his OPS is up to 786. And and I, and I do want to get to Tyler White. But RG, that that that's incredible when you look at those numbers. I mean, remember what well, the Astros were just a few Guriel, years ago. Guriel, his, his OPS is 740, but over the years, you talk about a guy with runners in scoring position or hitting well late, and that's a guy who's been a natural hitter since he's uh, when he's playing in Cuban baseball since he come over to the Major League Baseball in the United States. I mean, he's been excellent. Uh, so that's something that, again, that I think over time, over the course of a season. But a couple of the ones I wanted to mention there or that you you'd brought up are I, first of all, about about Josh Reddick, because that was a guy that I had concerns with, you know, coming into to the season just based on, you know, kind of how he seemed to be tailing off in, in his career. Uh, remember, with his uh, 2018 season, you know, he really you know, had some problems in, in, in the, the previous season. What was his average in 2018? Do you have that there? I don't have his two, two, 2018, but if, if I remember correctly, it was, it was in, he went from hitting close to 310, I want to say in 2017 to down to maybe 236. I want to say it was in that range. Don't quote it me. It was actually 242. I finally pulled it up here. Sorry about that. But, uh, you know, that was something coming into the season. I mean, you're already, you know, because the Astros do have, you know, with a Kyle Tucker, yeah, they know Jordano Alvarez can can also play in the outfield potentially. You know, there was a, a chance that jo- Josh Reddick has, has you know signed the multi-year contract with the Astros. But if you're only you know hitting uh, you know 240 and and n- not being able to to give the big power numbers either, 
but he started off this season, like you said, he's been a house of fire. He's made some mechanical adjustments. He's putting the bat on the ball. He's been able to go the opposite way. He's been able to find holes and spread the ball over the field. He's really kind of made adjustments in advance to it, 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 at this stage in his career in his early 30s, and you have to commend him for that. Uh, I mean, he's gotten off to a really good start. Let's see if he can sustain it over a whole season, but but that's that's been a pleasant surprise, and, and, and if you have Reddick in the lineup, I mean, that just lengthens and deepens, and, and to your point, uh, you can have, you know, this kind of historic offense, uh, you know, one through nine, and then uh, also want to uh, just bring up Michael Brantley because, you know, I'd, I'd heard, I'd seen him over the, with the Cleveland Indians for years, you know, professional hitter, again, a guy, you know, that covers the plate well, left-handed hitter, go to all fields, uh, you know, has power. But since he's been with the Astros, I mean, just how many big clutch hits has he come up with? He really, uh, you know, being in there and taking the cleanup spot, as we mentioned kind of earlier in the season, it's not easy to do. He's come in there, been a cog in the Astros lineup. He takes pitches. He knows just what to do with each plate appearance. He's a, just a, a true pleasure to watch. And, I, I mean, I think the really the Astros – I mean, one of the, the biggest offseason you know, acquisitions, because they got him on a two-year deal, was really kind of an affordable contract. $16 million a year, what he's been able to provide. When you have the over 900 OPS and what he's been able to, to do so far, uh, you know, that, that definitely, I think that's a, a value contract. Yeah, I don't want to hear Kyle Tucker's name for a while, because, I mean, I, I get it. It's early in the Round Rock season, but... He's hitting 129, and Jordan Alvarez is just eating it up and just like waiting for somebody to make a mistake up on the big league level because he's hitting 339 with a 1366 OPS. And, you know, Miles Straws got off to a fantastic start. He's got an 817 OPS, 319 average. So those guys are really getting it done. Well, and the interesting thing about Miles Straw, too, is that they've, they've moved him and they have him playing in the infield at shortstop. So he's somebody that could potentially. If you have him playing games at shortstop and he can already play the outfield and he has that speed, he uses that versatility of the thing the Astros love so he can play multiple spots. And and so that's something to look up out for and watch. Yeah, this is something I wanted to talk to you about because uh, – and, and I'm going to – let me make my case here. It, it seems inevitable the Astros will look to trade Tyler White pretty soon, and I'll give you five reasons that make this hypothesis add up. Number one, he's out of options. He, he You can't send him down. Uh, so that that's big, you know, again, he's, he's playing, he, he's got it back together. He's hot, which is, which is actually good. If you're going to try to trade him number, but my number two thing, the Astros need another reliever in the bullpen as these off days go away, as the season continues, they're going to have to add somebody. Jeff Luno's talked about it. Number three, Josh James and Frambois Valdez just haven't shown enough to be reliable in key situations. Usually they're coming into the game where it's a, a, a mop up duty situation, uh, you know, whether it's a big lead or the Astros are down big. So I think that's something that really matters. Number four, uh, Tony Kemp's versatility is big. His ability to play at least three or four positions, his ability to pinch run makes him more valuable than white overall. All of that combined uh, really, I feel like he's the one that stays maybe for a little bit longer and, and they need to start looking for Tyler White. There's there's some other reasons, but that's the main thing, RG. I, I think What are the, you talking about? This is the guy you spent the last two years talking about as the greatest thing since sliced bread and the great white shark and putting all this stuff. And now you're saying, oh wow, they gotta find a way to get rid of this guy. I I'm, 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 I don't want to get rid of them, but you, the Astros have so much so many good players that you, you're you're stuck and what are you gonna do? You can't send them down. You can't. 
Well, you can keep it the way. I mean, I know that you what you're saying as far as uh, not having any off days. Jeff Luno has said he has said I've heard him in interviews say that they're they're going to have to figure out something. Tony Kemp can't be sent down. And Tyler White can't be sent down. I, I realize that, but you do know that you can send down guys on your pitching staff so that, I mean, they have to stay down for 10 days. But if you have other guys that you can call up or that are on the 40-man roster that you can you can bring up from the minor leagues, you can kind of like, you know, like what they did with Framber Valdez and Raymond Guadain. They, they did that earlier in, in, the, in the season here. It's like you can send somebody down and then call them back up again. And so that's a way you can kind of tinker with a – with your pitching staff when you only have 12 and you have 13 position players. Cause I, they aren't going to, they aren't going to release Tyler white. No, 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 no. I, no, I'm saying that they, they, they have to trade him. But my point is forget about this season, like going forward. I don't know how he fits in going forward. Cause I mean, Yuli, it doesn't look like he's getting any worse as he gets older. I don't know what, what you do with him as he could, cause he just doesn't, he's not versatile. You can't, put him on the base paths. You can't put him in left field or sure. right field. You can't move him around. There's there, he's again, like, like an Evan Gaddis, you're stuck. At least he can play first base that Evan Gaddis couldn't do. But I, you know, I love Tyler white. It's not, I, it's, I don't say this out of hate for Tyler white. This is, this is rich people problems, but I think Ty, Tyler white's going to have to go. If they decide to go to 12 position players and 13 pitchers, I agree with you. I just don't think – I think at this point in time, we, we don't know that that's going to be the case where they're going to necessarily you – know, I mean, I know Jeff Luno said that, do that, but like I said, there are other ways of doing that. They can kind of like tinker with the staff like, okay, somebody just pitched you know, this day and we'll send this guy down and then we'll call somebody else up. So that way you don't have to you – know, again, I, I just gave you the example there – of, uh, you know, like somebody like a Dean Dietz, isn't he on the 40 man roster? You can call him up too. you know, put him in the bullpen. If you use some guy for several endings, it still has uh, options remaining that you can send down. So you can still keep doing that type of thing. Injuries always come up too, unfortunately, you know, knock on wood, the Astros, but I mean, look at the New York Yankees. They've had, they have 13 guys on the injured list so far this year. Guys like Aaron Judge just went on the, the injured list. Giancarlo Stanton, they've had Gary Sanchez on there. Didi Gregorius the whole season. You know, I mean, they've had this, the all these guys on the injured list. It still is weird for me to say that instead of disabled list, but uh, on the injured list. So, I mean, in the Astros, I mean, those are things that you're going to potentially have. And like you said, you want to be able to have the miles draw, Tyler White. I would only only if you absolutely feel like I've got a good deal on the table and trade Tyler White, get this guy back that will help our ball club. But I want to just be like, oh, my gosh, we got to get rid of Tyler White because I don't I don't see the urgency there, especially now that he started to hit again and play well. If he had not played well and do that, then maybe you're like, well, we can't keep this guy on the roster you know, much longer for that reason. He's out of options. Where can we trade him to? But, I mean, this guy has shown some promise. He's shown that he can hit in the big leagues. He has power. And, and when he gets hot, like he, like last year, a great white shark, I mean, he can carry a team for a few days. He really is kind of the Evan Gaddis example is, is, is quite appropriate. Yeah, there. but no, wait. Let me just say this. I mean, let me be clear. I mean, again, you're trying to paint it as, a, as I'm trashing t- – I hate Tyler White. I'm trashing Tyler White. Let's no, get I'm rid not. of him. I just, I just – I mean, you were ready to give him a contract and the, the full-time DH and then this, oh my gosh, this guy's got to find a way into the lineup the last couple of years. And now it's like, well, you know what? He's a guy that can be traded. I just kind of uh, no, funny. Well, but that was a different Astros team and they had different players and they, you know, you added Michael Brantley, which was a big thing. I mean, that was a huge deal. 
And Tony Kemp has shown that he's a, a big league player and he's the perfect bench guy. Also, look, Tony Kemp also adds this. I think he's a great clubhouse guy. Tyler White, great guy. But Tony Kemp's one of those guys that is good for chemistry more than I think Tyler White. I think that's part no, of the I equation. I like Tony Kemp a lot. I'm not talking about that, you know. Last thing I wanted to ask you about is, is Carlos Correa. I'm, I'm kind of giving up on this, uh, this idea that one day he could be a consistent 290 or 300 hitter. I mean, he's still young, but RG, but you, you don't see the progress in that direction. I keep hoping he's going to be more of a contact guy and going to be able to do that, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And also it's hard because if you're, if you're not a first pitch hitter in today's major leagues, they like to get that first pitch strike on you and Correa is working from behind most of the time. So then it's hard to hit when you're working from behind. I think he has the potential, but I think that we're kind of missing the boat here is that like in today's baseball, I mean, uh, again, you know, I mean, averages, I mean, if, if we were to talk to sabermetrics people, they would be laughing at us, like talking about baseball averages right now, because there's so many other things that, you know, go, go into it. And so we get maybe fixated on the guy, you know, has a certain batting average. I mean, we're more old school, I, you know, home runs. And I mean, at least we brought up the OPS there, uh, you know, and what the, what his exit velocity is too on when he's making contact because last season memory was hitting kind of those stuff when Carlos Correa is going to the opposite field when he's doing those things uh, with with his uh, with his swing that's when he starts to break out and he's been kind of a streaky hitter throughout his career does he have the potential to be that what you're mentioning yes but I mean the most important thing to me is that he has the power numbers which he started off with the five home runs the uh, 882 OPS that he has currently right now, you know, gets that up between, you know, between 800, 900. Well, if he got it up close to a thousand, that'd be fantastic. Um, you know, superstar level. Uh, yeah. That that's what everybody's always expected with Carlos. Correa. Yeah. The only way though, he gets it up into that class is if he raises his average. I think that's where he, he's got to work on it. And, and when you raise your average, it, it's easier to walk because you know, they, they, they have to, they have to respect you a little bit more. And, and I also think, you know, one of the bits of the conversation that we talked about when Carlos Correa was in his first year or two was we thought this guy could be in the conversation for one of the best players in baseball. And I don't believe you can be in that conversation when you're hitting 270, which is, it seems like it's been what he's been for the most part. And maybe again, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm screwing up the, his average, but uh, I believe that's what he's been for the most part in his career. No, he's a 276 career hitter, uh, career OPS 835. I mean, that's like you said, not unless you're 900 plus 900, a thousand. I mean, that's when. You, uh, so right now, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't yet gotten up to that superstar level, but he's been a, a very good player. He already has a championship under his belt. He's still very young, and uh, you know, and he's to me, it's just more about consistency because he is a young player still. Um, still with the prime of his career ahead of him. And, and just to me, I've just liked how he's looked at the plate to begin this season because there was real concern. I mean, you had it. Everybody had it who watches the Astros. You know, at the end of last season, this is a young guy who's already got back problems, and he just didn't look the same at the plate. And, I mean, he was, you could tell he was tentative to swing because he didn't want to, you know, exacerbate things with his back and be out of the lineup. So he had to kind of go into the off season, you know, make some adjustments and he's come back and he's been a really good, aggressive, 
you know, yeah, the first strikes, maybe we can kind of talk about that. But, I mean, he's been a, a good hitter so far to start the year. He's had power. He's been doing the things and been a real positive. And, in fact, as we're recording this, he, he had a, a home run again tonight. To me, that's that's good to see from Carlos Correa. And that's why I do feel that he has the upside. The more comfortable he gets at the plate, the more that he starts getting back into his rhythm and plays. Again, he's been kind of – hampered by injuries throughout his career. So knock on wood, hopefully this guy stays healthy because he's he is an exciting player to watch and, and and he does have that superstar potential. But right now he's kind of, you know, slotted behind, you know, as far as in the Astros hierarchy behind uh, you know, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman as far as the 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 the, the superstars on the team. So and, and you still have George Springer of course and and like Michael Brantley being added. So I mean the Astros have a lot of really good hitters. Any final thoughts before we get going? Well, I, I wanted to kind of like, I mean, one of the big things around baseball this week is the uh, going to be the debut of, of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Vlad Jr., uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays coming up on Friday. And he's he's pretty much kind of dominated at the the minor league level. Can, can he hit balls like that are at his feet and above his head like his daddy? Oh, yeah, he can. But he has, he has actually better. They say that he's – they showed a stats of – the minor league stats between Vladimir Guerrero, his father, and Vlad Jr., and they were almost – they're pretty identical. So, I mean, if that's any indicator, I mean, this could be a father-son duo, you know, headed for Hall of – both for Hall of Fame careers because one's already in the Hall of Fame, and the other's probably the most heralded prospect in, you know, several years. Uh, I mean, I know there's always guys that come up, and you're like, okay, there's a Chris Bryant here or Mike Trout or – you know, whomever, but I mean, like we all remember when like, oh, King Griffey Jr., the kid, when he made his debut for, uh, you know, San Francisco, Seattle Mariners. But it's that type of buzz because this guy is just completely dominated minor league baseball and, you know, kind of his his he's baseball royalty because his father's a Hall of Famer. And, you know, everybody's been waiting to see what he's going to do when he finally gets to the Toronto Blue Jays. And the of course, the Astros haven't played Toronto yet. So. At some point in this season, they're going to get an up-close personal look at at Vlad Jr., and so maybe it would have been better to have Toronto on the schedule before he made his arrival, but I think it'll also be fun for fans who come out to Minute Maid Park to be able to to watch a great you know, superstar player potentially in the making. Yeah, unfortunately, he'll never be as good a hitter as Tyler White, so um, I'm not going to let RG talk bad about my my guy right there i don't i don't care what yeah, what you had hear. so much you started off with the the bachelor you know being it with your uh, doing the whole uh, you know bromance thing there and you know setting out your rose for the different astros and it's like man tyler white's had your had your heart for years right so i mean it's just like it's kind of like uh, man i can't believe the guy wants to get rid of the great white shark this is the the guy you've been touting for the last two years yeah, that's not what I said. You know, you know, I'm just I'm I'm not saying I never say like what I would do. Uh, usually I'll tell you if it's what I would do, but I just hey, you would sign into a contract extension. That's basically what you're saying. Yeah, he gets a lifetime extension as far as I'm there concerned. You go. Yeah, we'll figure out a way to keep him around. But anyway, uh, that's all for this one. Uh, thanks again to RG. Uh, been a busy week and we get to talk some rockets some more next week. Excited about that. We'll talk again soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hot
Hey there, listener. Are you a fan of Houston Cougar Athletics? Well, Sam and I have got the perfect podcast for you. It's the Scott and Holman Podcast. Yeah, we're talking all things Houston Cougars, in-season, off-season, recruiting, on-field results. If it's Houston Cougars, we're talking about it. So search Scott and Holman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.